Hello lovely pod listeners. God bless you guys. Sorry about missing last week. Uh, this is Minnesota and we had an April snowstorm of magnificent proportions. So the church had to shut down. But I wanted to give you just a, a last update on, on the sustain campaign. Uh, our goal was 400 and we got to 390. So close, but it's a fallen world. So uh, praise God for 390. And just want to say how much we, we just are so honored to be able to pour into your life uh, that we get to uh, share the gospel with you. Uh, it, it really is a great honor. And so thank you for being a part of what God's doing here with this church and um, for tuning in. So this week we're talking about death and what happens between death and resurrection and what about all those ghosts and near-death experiences and things of that sort. So tune in. God bless you guys. See you later. A lot of people are afraid of what's what's coming, I think. I've I'm this much older and I've done nothing with my life. What if I die tomorrow? If I had learned that I only had six months left, I'd be like, I'm not done yet. I don't have to pay taxes. I don't have to do bills. I do have an early memory of uh, going to a funeral with an open casket, you know, and that's, yeah, that's a memorable <laughs> first experience to see what, you know, see, um, see someone who is dead laying there. I think death has always seemed like a scary thing. Um, just I think the process of death um, like, is it going to hurt? Is it going to be agonizing? My fear isn't necessarily for me and death, but what that would mean for my family that I leave behind. When my mother passed away, as she took her last breath, she wanted somebody to catch her. She said, catch me, I'm coming. That gave me a real, real good hope that there's a lot of good things on the other side, and she had a glimpse of it. I still have things I want to do in life, and I still have things that I want to live out. Get married, or like, have a job, or own a house, pay rent. I don't feel nervous about what's after this life, it, but I still think the process of death does scare me. I was like, eh, do I want to die? No, not really, but what I mean, yeah, I'd be okay with that, you know, deuces, you know. <laughs> So as you can tell from that video, we're in a series here uh, that we're talking about death and related matters. Uh, and this morning I want to talk about uh, what happens between death and resurrection. In fact, we're going to cover two, two questions. What happens between death and resurrection? What becomes of us? And that relates to a question about uh, what do you make of ghosts and apparitions and, and, and things of that sort? So those are the two questions we'll be going at. What you need to know right from the get-go, is that the main hope of the New Testament, it's not that we'll go to heaven when we die. You know, a lot of people think that. You die and go to heaven, and that's the end of the story. But the main hope of the, resurrection, the, main hope of the New Testament is about the resurrection at the end of the age. That uh, uh, at the end of the age, God's going to wrap this up. He's going to raise the dead, and that's when heaven begins. Uh, that's when we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, that's when uh, God's love will define every square inch of the cosmos and there'll be no more sorrow and heartache and, and all that. But that happens at the end, and, and that's the main thing that people in the New Testament are looking for. And you find this throughout the, the New Testament. I'll just give one verse as an example. Paul in 1 Corinthians. He says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Falling asleep is just Paul's idiomatic way of referring to people who have died. And he says Christ is the first fruits of, of, of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, the idea of first fruits comes out of the Old Testament. Uh, the Israelites, as soon as the crop would, would, some of the crop would, would be ripened and ready to be picked, they would pick that uh, and offer it to the Lord. And it was their way of saying, we're trusting you for the rest of the harvest. 
And so the resurrection of Jesus is sort of like the guarantee of the future resurrection. One has been raised from the dead ahead of time, and uh, that's the assurance that all will be raised from the dead. The question I want to ask this morning is, what happens between death and resurrection? Uh, now, the, the New Testament is so emphatic on, on, on the end being the, the, the main hope, the resurrection being the main hope, that it actually says very, very little about what happens in between. I think God's attitude towards us is sort of like, take it one stage of existence at a time, and he's not out to satisfy our curiosity about all the details of what happens next. But we do find some things that possibly uh, inform us about this in-between stage. The fact that we don't have much to go on means we can't get dogmatic about any of this. And so this is one of those areas where we have to be okay with having differences of opinion and, and changing our mind on things. In fact, I've changed my mind about this. I, up until about maybe 15, 20 years ago, I, I assumed that nothing happened between death and resurrection. Um, it's uh, held this doctrine, it's sometimes called the soul sleep doctrine. Uh, and it's mainly based on the fact that Paul, whenever he's referring to the dead, he refers to them as sleeping, which seems to imply some kind of unconsciousness. And so my, my, my conviction, and there's a lot of others who hold this conviction, and you're free to hold this conviction if you want as well, but it's that, that you die, and then you don't exist until you're raised on the next day. But I can still give people, you know, comfort at funerals and stuff. I, I didn't go and say, hey, your loved one doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I've said they, they go, they've gone to be with the Lord because their next waking moment will be with the Lord. But I just didn't think that there's anything that happened in between. I changed my mind about that. And, and I did it for three reasons. First, there, there are, there's a few passages that have trouble fitting into that paradigm. The way the New Testament usually speaks is just about death and then resurrection. But there's a few passages that give some indication that, that, that we remain conscious after death in between death and resurrection. So I'll give you one example of this. Paul in 2 Corinthians says this. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So that's a much better place. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Now the very fact that Paul can talk about a time when he will be away from his body and be with the Lord shows that he must have believed that he's going to exist in a disembodied state with the Lord. And the fact that he says he's going to be away from the body shows that this is happening before the resurrection, because the resurrection is the resurrection of our bodies. And so Paul here is indicating that he, he, this isn't full heaven, that happens at the end, but there is a, like a, a pre-heaven state that Paul will be in, uh, and, and he'll, he'll be waiting for the resurrection of the body. So passages like that convince me that we, we, we remain conscious after death. But that wasn't the only thing that convinced me. I, the second thing was I came upon a, a, a lot of research uh, that of people who have testimonies about being conscious after they died. Have some of you done any reading on this, these near-death experiences? There's a tremendous number of them. People who report things after their body had clinically died. Um, now, skeptics will say that this is just, these are just hallucinations. That as the brain shuts down, uh, you know, things get activated and they go into great detail about this and people hallucinate. 
And that may be true for many of these NDE experiences, near-death experiences, though I know some scientists who argue that neurologically that doesn't explain anything. But even if, even if that does explain some of these near-death ex experiences, it doesn't explain all of them. Because I found about a dozen instances, and I, I bet there's hundreds more that I don't know about, but examples where people not only were remained conscious after death, but they acquired information while they were dead that they couldn't have acquired, it seems, any other way. So I, I'll just give you two examples of these. Um, one is this. In 1984, there's this lady named Maria. And she has this, and these are all, by the way, from medical journals. And the literature on this in medical journals is, is really increasing. Uh, scientists are starting to take notice of this and being interested in this. But Maria had a massive heart attack in 1984. Uh, they were able to revive her, um, and eventually she made a full recovery. But when they revived her, she gave this report. She saw herself, uh, she was looking down on her body as they were operating on her. And she could describe in vivid detail the room that she was in, even though she'd never been there before, and she was unconscious when she was in there. And she described in detail who was, in, who, who was operating on her, what they were doing, things they were saying to one another, and, and it was just vivid. Now, a lot of near-death experiences include stuff like that, and that already is kind of impressive. But not nearly as much as what happened next. She says that she floated outside the hospital, and then she floated around to the other side of the hospital, the north side of the building, and floated up a floor. And then saw, uh, beneath this third floor window, a tennis shoe. Uh, it was a, a blue tennis shoe, and she described it in great detail, right on the ledge of this, this, this building, third floor. You can't see this tennis shoe from the ground. In fact, the only way you can see this tennis shoe is by sticking your head out the third floor window and looking straight down. But that's very hard to do because they always keep the windows locked. And so she sees this tennis shoe, and, and she describes it as the, the, the part where the toe is. It was kind of worn through. And, and most interesting, this blue tennis shoe had a lace that was stuck to the heel. Uh, the person somehow st stepped in something sticky, so the, the lace was stuck to the heel. A really odd detail. So doctor gets interested in this and goes up to the third floor and has the janitor open the window, looks down, and boom, there's the shoe. How did she know that that shoe was there? You talk about random. Uh, it seems to me that this provides pretty convincing proof that uh, Maria's consciousness survived her death. Here's another example. Um, it's kind of quirky in some ways, but um, there's this lady, uh, Norma Bowie, and she's a professor of nursing, and she notes in her article that she didn't believe in near-death experiences uh, prior to this. In fact, she wasn't even sure about life after death, but this event convinced her. So there's this lady that was in this terrible car accident, and um, she had some brain, some head injuries and things like that. They rush her to the hospital, but she dies en route to the hospital. But they were able to revive her and eventually work on her head injuries and stuff. But this lady remained in a coma for 10 months. When she comes to, she also describes in vivid detail uh, this, the room that she was in and who said what and who was doing what. and I think Even this one mistake that a person made on uh, uh, bumping something over and grabbed the wrong something or other. But she gives detailed report on this. But what was really interesting is that this lady had OCD. Whenever uh, she saw numbers in a row, she just had to memorize them. A little odd tick there. And while she's up there looking at her body being operated on, she notices on the, the, the top of the ventilator that was keeping her breathing a serial number. It was a 12-digit serial number, and yes, she memorized it. Uh, so she comes to and gives this report. 
So they send, uh, they, they go over to the room, that operating room, and get the janitor. You, you can't see the number from the ground. Uh, you have to get a, like a chair or a ladder. They get a janitor to check, get up there with a flashlight, check on the serial number. He reads it off, and it's exactly what this lady had said. How do you explain that? I, that that's not how, calling that a hallucination just doesn't quite uh, explain what needs explaining, if you ask me. It seems to me that reports like this, and there are many, many of them, provide real strong support for the belief that we are conscious after we die. There's a third kind of phenomenon that also uh, helps convince me that, we sur that, that we, our consciousness survives death. Um, I've known a number of hospice nurses and chaplains who work with people uh, towards the, right, right at the very end of their life, or there. And some of them have told me that, that they found that when people are at the very last stages of their life, sometimes they start talking to loved ones and, and interacting with loved ones. In fact, we got a little bit of that in the video that we watched. Um, and, and again, skeptics could say, well, this is just hallucination that, that's produced as the brain's shutting down. And that could be the case in many, many instances. But again, there's sometimes where people who are, they're, they're, they're interacting with their deceased loved ones, where they pass on information that they couldn't have acquired any other way. So I'll again give you one example of this. Um, I met a chaplain uh, several years ago at a conference I was attending, and he and I really hit it off. He was a fun guy, smart guy, and liked theology, so we ended up talking some theology. And at some point, we start talking about life after death. And he shared with me something that had happened to him three weeks earlier. Uh, he was at the bedside of a dying six-year-old boy that I'll just call Caleb because I can't remember what his actual name was. Um, and, and this boy had an uh, inoperable brain tumor, and he was at the very final stages of his, his life. Uh, he'd been unconscious for two days straight. The doctors didn't think he'd come to again. Uh, his mother and father and grandmother were just keeping vigil there, just waiting for him to die. But at one point, all of a sudden, Caleb's eyes open up. And the chaplain said there was a look on his face like, like enchanted wonder, like, like, what is this? And he just seemed, like, excited. And he starts talking to somebody that no one else can see. In fact, he's laying on his bed looking straight up, but he's talking to somebody. So his mom asks him, who are you talking to? And, and the boy pauses for a moment and then says, he says, he, he says he's, he's Grandpa Daniel. And the grandmother, who is the wife of this Grandpa Daniel, deceased Grandpa Daniel, says, can you describe him? And so Caleb kind of starts giggling and talks about this nice man, he called him, um, and describes him like a, a man who he, had a, uh, he was short and, and, and kind of fat and had this real bushy, big white beard and a, a real bushy eyebrow that covered both eyes. Uh, and and, and uh, he has like really bright blue eyes. And that really stood out to him. He's really bright blue eyes. And then he, he, he mentions a few quirky things, like he had a discolored uh, nail on his, his uh, left pinky. And, and he had a um, uh, weird tattoo of a heart with a ship inside and an arrow going through it on his uh, upper right shoulder. And as he's describing this, the grandmother starts to weep because he's describing Grandpa Daniel to a T. Uh, and they, they, the parents say that they rarely talked about Grandpa Daniel. They weren't even sure if, if Caleb even knew about Grandpa Daniel, but they never had described him in any, any kind of detail. And there's one photo of Grandpa Daniel in the house, but it's of him and Grandma when they got married at the age of 23, 
Long before Grandpa Daniel grew a beard or a single eyebrow or got fat, uh, long before he ever got a discolored uh, a pinky nail, and um, the, he had the tattoo at the time, but it was covered up in that photo, and, and there's no way that he could have known about that. What do you do with, with things like that? How, how do you explain that? But the story's actually not, not over. Because um, at one point, after he described Grandpa Daniel, Caleb starts to giggle and then begins to laugh. And he, he continues to talk, but he's giggling and laughing. In fact, it went on for quite some time to the point where the mom and dad, even though they're crying, they start to giggle. They seem their son happy. <laughs> and, and they assume that he was still talking to Grandpa Daniel. But at one point, the, the, the laughter, the giggling kind of die out. And then Caleb turns and, and looks at the grandma and says, Carolyn is here too. And she's really, really funny. And she wants you to know that she loves you very much. And she's very, very happy. Now, it turns out Carolyn was the grandmother's firstborn daughter, her first child. And she was a happy, fun-loving, vivacious young girl who was tragically killed in an accident at the age of seven. But that happened in 1951, 57 years before, before uh, Caleb was ever born. The grandpa had died 24 years before Caleb was born. Uh, but, and Caleb knew nothing about this Carolyn, and yet here he is talking with her. It's, things like that convince me that, in fact, death closes a chapter in our life, but it doesn't end the life. It, it closes a chapter in our story, but it, it's not the end of the story. Uh, we go on existing consciously. Uh, it's not full heaven, but it's, it's, it's in the presence of the Lord if you're a believer, and, and uh, you're there waiting for uh, the, the resurrection. Some other things might take place in that context as well, and I'll talk about those in two weeks. But uh, in my humble opinion, we remain conscious after death. So that leads to the second question. If, if our spirits survive the death of our body... Could it be that some human spirits are, are hanging around? Uh, could this be some of what people report when they, 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 they say they see ghosts? Or some even claim to see apparitions of their loved ones. Uh, is that a possibility? Now, here again, we've got, we don't have much to go on, so we have to give a lot of space to have different opinions here. Uh, most Christians assume, it's just been an assumption, that when you die, your spirit leaves this physical plane, and goes to be with the Lord, if you're compatible with being in the presence of the Lord, or goes to some other place, uh, if you're not compatible with being in the presence of the Lord. And so, a lot of Christians would say that all these ghosts and apparitions, they're all demonic stuff. Either you can explain them some other way, people are hallucinating or whatever, or if they're real, they're demonic. Now, I, I agree that we should be cautious whenever we're talking about or dealing with ghosts and apparitions and things of that sort, cautious. But I don't know that I have enough inf information to say definitively that, that, that there aren't human spirits that for whatever reason get caught here or stay here or whatever. I, j I just don't know. And I don't know where people get their confident information. I know what happens to them. Really? Um, where did you get that? I, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But it doesn't matter because it, it doesn't affect how we should respond to them. All right? So... so um, this is a little bit weird, but three weeks ago, I was uh, asked to do a house cleansing. 
Because there's this lady who was sure that she, her, her condominium was being haunted by the ghost of her deceased neighbor. Now, I get asked to do something like this every once in a while, and hardly ever am I available to do that. But when this lady described what was going on in her house, I got, I got to check this out. Uh, and so <laughs> it, it was pretty bizarre. And, and so I and two friends went to uh, you know, pay this lady a visit and to... Uh, teach her how to do a house cleansing because you don't want to give a person a fish when you can teach him to fish, right? So here, the, the, the back story on this is that uh, she lives in these kind of uh, cottages that are attached to each other. So they all share walls. And, and one of her neighbors was this old guy who was a lecher. And I'm going to spare you uh, how this lady came to know that she, he was a pervert, but it was obvious, all right? Just trust me. <laughs> you don't want to know how she knew. So... Um, this guy died. He had a heart attack in his bed, but they didn't find his body for three weeks, which tells you how little connection he had. And it happens to be that his bedroom uh, is, is adjacent to her bedroom. They share a wall. So for three weeks, she was sleeping feet away from a rotting corpse, uh, and she didn't know it. But it was during that three-week period of time that strange things began to happen in her condominium. Um, she reports, uh, she saw and, and one time heard uh, her cabinet doors open and slam shut on their own. Uh, twice she saw her telephone, her cell phone, uh, fly off of the shelf on its own. Uh, her stove turned itself on. The washer would sometimes open its lid on its own. Uh, the morning that, before we got there, on this one Saturday, uh, she was sweeping her kitchen and heard this big thug in her bedroom where a lot of the activity was taking place. And she goes into the bedroom, and the thing is that she had a pretty large carpet, like almost the size of this one, that she would put on her bed after she would make the bed. And it's pretty heavy. Um, and, and that was for her dog to be able to lie on it. That's the dog's favorite rug. What had happened is that that rug somehow had gotten off the bed and was now on the other side of the room, kind of folded over. So weird stuff like this. And yes, this lady was freaking out. Now, she was convinced that her dead neighbor is hassling her. And I don't have enough information about the spirit realm to know, to either affirm or deny that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because, look, at if there's any kind of spirit agent in your house hassling you and intimidating you, it's not of God, and you've got authority to kick it out. That's all you need to know. And so, so we went over there, and uh, this lady was a real kind of down-to-earth, practical lady. Um, she was a believer, but it was, she had a really kind of an uninformed, very Americanized uh, you know, kind of faith, which a lot of Christians in America do. Um, she felt seemed, she was very clumsy talking about her faith. Clearly, not something she does much. Uh, even basic questions like, "How do you know that, that you know you're going to go to heaven?" She thought, well, "I'm good enough." And so we had to do. Quite, we helped her on her theology for about 90 minutes. We just did some teaching here because we don't want to just give her fish. We want to teach her how to fish. And so we talk about what salvation is and and uh, about uh, the reality of the spirit realm and about her identity in Christ and about her authority in Christ. And the transformation of this lady was just. This was, uh, was astounding. Um, because after that 90 minutes, we wanted her now to lead us in doing this house cleansing. And so we go into the bedroom uh, to start with, because that's where a lot of the activity was happening. And this lady just blew us away. Because moments earlier, clumsy talking about faith and didn't know much at all. She goes up to her bedroom wall that is adjacent to the other guy's bedroom wall, puts her hand on this thing, 
And she starts rebuking like you wouldn't believe. I mean, it, it just blew me away. In Jesus' name, I, I stand on the authority of the cross and I rebuke anything in the unclean realm that's hassling me. I don't care if you're a human spirit or if you're a demon. You got to get out of here. This is my house. And it, it, was, it was just, it was like, great. I wanted to give her applause as she's doing it. it, it was, and that's how, that's how it was in every room. Um, and she, she, she testified about this joy. And you could see it, this joy and this freedom that came on her as she's doing this. I mean, she was getting freed from stuff in the process of taking authority over whatever it was that was in her, 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 her apartment. And so it just goes to show that everything the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good. Because of this hassle, this, this uninformed, Americanized, clumsy-talking, shy lady who knew nothing about the spiritual realm, nothing about spiritual warfare, nothing about demons. This was all off her radar screen. That's why she was freaking out. But transformed her into this mighty warrior of God. Praise God. What the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good. Because see, now, the stuff has subsided, I'm told. Um, but there's still occasionally some weird stuff that happens. But, and that's, not, that, that's par for the course. Sometimes the kingdom of darkness pushes back. But the cool thing is that this lady's not afraid anymore. She's not afraid because she, know, she knows who she is in Christ. She knows the authority that she has in Christ. She knows that, that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. She knows that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and, and self-control. She knows that she has the power to take authority over anything in that spiritual realm that, that doesn't belong in her apartment. And, and so it's a thing of beauty. Uh, she just, on her own, she says it's like shooing flies off of your, your, your supper uh, during the summer. It's like, shoot, get out. You don't belong here. In Jesus' name, get out of here. And just takes authority over it. And so it's a, it's a, it's a thing of beauty. I'll say one more thing about ghosts. And that is, um, there are increasing numbers of people today who are, are trying to contact deceased relatives. Trying to conjure up ghosts. And they go to mediums or channelers or consult Ouija boards or what have you. And I totally understand, I get, the, the longing to have one more communi communication with your deceased loved one. I get that. But folks, this is a very, very bad idea. It's a very, very bad idea. The Bible uniformly condemns consulting any kind of mediums, which is consulting with the dead. Uh, condemns any, any kind of divination. And divination is simply trying to acquire divine knowledge. Knowledge that belongs to God, not to us. And whenever we do that, we are asking for trouble. God sets strong parameters around what we're supposed to know and what we're not supposed to know. And as the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 indicates, whenever our curiosity gets us outside the parameters of what God says we're supposed to know, we are courting disaster. At the very least, you're playing with fire. You are, you are it's like picking up a phone and you're dialing into the, the spiritual realm and you don't know the number you're dialing and you have no idea who's going to pick up. But the one thing you do know, or at least that you should know, is that there's a ton of malevolent spirit agents in that spirit realm, and, and they, are, they are experts at deception. So you don't know who you're talking to, even if you think you know who you're talking to. And they're looking for any way to get inroads into your life, and dialing them up is an invitation to, hey, let's talk. And they, they now have some access to you. And you're out, you, you're, you are undoubtedly sincere in your desire to contact a loved one, but they don't care, and you're vulnerable because you're outside the parameters of what God says we're supposed to know, and so you don't have any protection. Uh, if I have any credibility with whoever, whoever's listening to this message, I want to leverage it right now by saying, stay away from all of that stuff. It is just not good at all. 
channelers, mediums, psychics, tarot cards, uh, palm reading, uh, Ouija boards, you name it, just stay clear of it. That's not stuff we're supposed to be dabbling with. Bible says there's one mediator between God and humanity, and that is Jesus Christ. One mediator. And so all of our talking, amen, all of our talking to the spiritual realm should be to the Father, through his Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit, and put aside any other kind of communication. Just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, that's the parameter that we're always supposed to be staying within. Don't go outside of that. Uh, however curious you may be, set it aside. Know what you're supposed to know. Don't try to know what you don't know. That's what got us in all this trouble in the first place. Okay, so I want to close by, 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 by sharing a story, and then we're going to go into an exercise. Or not sharing a story, but just kind of giving a, a little teaching here. Um, you know, the, the main hope of the New Testament is this resurrection at the end, when all will be as God intends it to be. And all things will be reconciled and harmonized and brought together into one head under Jesus Christ. I encourage folks to take time on a regular basis to imagine that. As vividly as possible, try to imagine that. We don't have enough information about this in-between stage to imagine anything. But we do know how it ends. And there's so much value in taking time, visiting there, imagining that. Now, however, however you imagine heaven, it, you know that it's, it's infinitely better than that. So just imagine the most glorious thing you can imagine. Ask the Spirit to help you get a glimpse of the glory of heaven. And, and, and know that you're just heading in the right direction. Uh, the reason this is so important is this. Our brains are wired to identify only things that are concrete as real. Um, if you have a belief about something but never imagine it in concrete, vivid ways, you believe it, but it still won't feel real to you. Only things that we envision in concrete, vivid ways feel real to us. All right? Uh, so a person who believes in heaven, believes in the afterlife but never imagines it, well, it's going to feel unreal to them. And they might, may not even notice that until it comes time to die. But all of a sudden, they're afraid. Or maybe they've been afraid for a long time. And you would be afraid because even though you have a belief about the afterlife, it feels like you're letting go of reality, and now you're going to jump off the cliff into what? It, well, it feels unreal. It feels like sheer loss. You're losing this, and you don't know what you're gaining. And that, that uncertainty and that fogginess and that feeling of unreality is what causes fear. Whereas if a person has been taking time to, I call it rehearsing for death. In prayer, rehearse for death. Die and go to heaven. Why should people who have NDE experiences get all the fun, right? Uh, they often say that, that these encounters change their life. Well, we can do that too. We can do that too. And, and, and see, it, vividly imagining heaven on a regular basis um, it does several things for us. It, it, it lowers our fear of death and eventually eradicates our fear of death because you become more confident that, uh, that, that this is real. It feels more real to you. In fact, if you're doing this on a regular basis, you begin to share Paul's longing to be away from the body and be with the Lord. I, I, that's a better place. I, I get the lady on the video where she says, do so, you know, do I want to live or die? Well, I, I could go either way because this is a good thing. I bet she imagines heaven because it feels real to her. Um, it also helps you walk through life with an eternal perspective. The more confident you are that your story goes on forever, well, you, you, you see things in an eternal perspective. And in an eternal perspective, problems, even big problems, aren't that big. They become, the bigger your vision, the smaller your problems are. Uh, you tend to be more relaxed about things because um, you realize that you, you live forever. Uh, it, you, you, you have a 
less difficult time letting go of things. You don't cling to things as much because you're living out of eternal perspective. So I encourage you to, on a regular basis, spend time imagining heaven. Make it a spiritual discipline. Now, I, 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 I'm going to illustrate one way that this can look, and then we're going to do this exercise. About 20 years ago or so, uh, a young man in our church named Matt was killed, an uh, 11-year-old boy, just a precious, precious gem of a child. And it was devastating to his parents and to a lot of us. Um, for me, it was devastating because Matt was one of the few kids that would actually play with my son. It was a terrible loss. Sometime after uh, his funeral, I was visiting heaven. I, I, I do this quite frequently. Um, I, I put on music, because music is a gift from God, and it helps open you up and, and, and inspire your imagination, and it's just a gift. It's a tool that we can use. So I, I put on music, and I just visit heaven, act like I just died or something, and I visit heaven. And, uh, I, and I have a playlist that I go through. And all, at one point, a song came up, Cavalleria Rusticana. And I, I'd never heard this song before, but it was beautiful. The first half is kind of melancholic. It, it, it's, it's beautiful, but kind of a sad beautiful. And I, there, for the, it lasts for about a minute and a half, and I, at that point, just was envisioning uh, Matt and the sorrow of him being separated from his parents, and I entered into the grief of his parents, and, and that kind of led me to kind of have a representation in my imagination about just the sadness of the world. I pictured a graveyard and, and the death that, that is just so pervasive in this world. It's a sad world, and I entered into that. But then halfway through the song, it transitions to this glorious, kind of majestic sound. And what I saw then was, was this. I, I saw a, a, a wall and a gate in the middle. It was really glorious. And then I saw Matthew, Matt, who had died. And then he sees his parents walking on, onto the scene. And they see each other, and of course they're, they're full of joy. But as they approach the gate together, they're coming this way, and they come to the gate, Matt points kind of in the distance. Now, in his vision, there was this light coming down, and I couldn't see the source of the light, but there's this light. It was like moonlight, but more beautiful. It was like moonlight on steroids. It was just glorious. And it was coming kind of like waves. It was like, it was, it was emanating. I, I don't know. But Matt points to this, this, this glory, and they, they all turn, and I, I, I can't see the glory, but I can see their faces in the light of the glory, and they're just enraptured, that, 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 that uh, uh, enchanted wonderment that, that Caleb uh, had. They're, they're just enraptured. And what was most beautiful is that the beauty of what they're seeing together was greater than their joy of seeing each other, being reunited. What could be greater than, than being reunited with your, your son after having been depart, separated for however long? But they're all together, the, 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 the magnificence of this moment is what they're seeing. And it was just so glorious. It was so beautiful. Um, it, it, was, it makes you want to be there. So what I'd like to do, and this is just a little bit strange, but I, I thought I, I, it's good to do it. It'd be helpful. To illustrate kind of what, it, what this can look like, but also to have us walk through something here. I'm going to play this song, um, uh, Cavalleria Rusticana. And, and in, for the first half of the song, I'd like you to think about uh, a deceased loved one. Or if, if not that, just something sorrowful in your life. And enter into that. Go ahead and let, let the music help you enter into that and feel the sadness. But you, the song will transition, and you'll know when it happens. 
into this glorious thing. At that point, I'd like to ask the Spirit to just give us a glimpse of a glory that is so great, so beautiful, that it renders that sorrow insignificant. It washes that sorrow away. So we don't have to wait till we are in heaven to enjoy the benefits of heaven. We have an inheritance now. And so you can, you, you can take loans from that, that heavenly uh, you know, end and, and apply it to your present. Get a glimpse of glory, however, however, the, the, however the Spirit leads you to represent that in your mind. That is so beautiful, so great. And know that however you're imagining it, it's actually going to be infinitely greater than that. But, but see it as great as possible, such that it washes away the sorrow that you're that you just entered into in the first half of the song. Because Paul tells us, as I've shared the last couple of weeks, that the, the sufferings of this present age and the sorrows of this present age can't be compared to the glory that God has in store for us, the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And, and given how terrible the sorrow of this world is, that just tells us that the end state of this, the end of the story, heaven, is unimaginably glorious. So let's listen to this Holy Spirit. Come here right now. Be among us. Help us to enter into this fully and do work in our heart, whatever work needs to be done, and show us a glimpse of the glory that awaits us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the funeral that I have to go to is for my niece. Uh, she committed suicide last Monday. Struggled with drug addiction for 20 years. And it was the worst case of drug addiction I've ever seen. Just gripped her. She was a girl that had so much potential, so much beauty, and so smart. And uh, just fell victim to this drug addiction. And so this is a sad day. But there's a glory. There's a coming glory. It's so great, so beautiful. that It will render even the sufferings of this present day, inconsequential, can't be compared. Whatever the sorrow and heartache is in your life, uh, I encourage you to visit that land of glory. <laughs> gaze into the glorious face of Jesus Christ. Paul says this, as we gaze into the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ, that we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. And uh, my niece's death, it closes this chapter of her life, but it doesn't end the story. No, the story goes on. The story goes on. And I'll be sharing more about that in a couple weeks. The story goes on. Uh, you don't have to know how. You don't have to know the details. You can't know any of that. The domain of what we're allowed to know is very small. We have faith. With that faith comes vision. And I encourage you to use that vision. Plus, it's just fun. I just like to you know, just let him go on. Go, go, take it. You know, visit. You, you, this is going to be your home for eternity. So why not visit there you know, on occasion? Uh, get familiar with the place. And that way you won't be afraid of it when it's time to go there. All right? All right, would you stand? I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward. And uh, if you're here and have any need that could use prayer, maybe it's a broken heart, maybe it's a broken marriage, maybe it's a broken leg, whatever, I encourage you to come in and, and uh, let these few folks pray with you. And... If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't know what's going to happen to you when you die, I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, you don't need to live that way. Uh, so come up here and talk to these folks. They'd love to explain to you what it is to become a follower of Jesus. And finally, according to Mary's note, don't forget, stay over a while in the gathering area as we celebrate the many volunteers here at Woodlands Church. God bless you guys. As you leave here, let's go do, doing it with a commitment to imagine heaven, keeping an eternal perspective of all things. All right? Because in the end, 
The glory will outweigh everything else. If you agree with that, say amen and go out and love your neighbors. Amen. God bless.